Hey, this is Brian Damage from Kicks, and you're listening to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. What's up? I am Joe Sebelia, and this is the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show, episode number 60. Thank you for tuning in. Tonight, my guest is Kevin Steele, lead singer of Rock's Gang and the Mojo Gurus. If you're not familiar with Rock's Gang or the Mojo Gurus, I definitely recommend you check them out. You know, Rock's Gang had a debut album. It was called uh, Things You've Never Done Before which was a fantastic album, and I don't feel it really got the attention it deserved. If you're a fan of bands such as Faster Pussycat and L.A. Guns, you're going to love things you've never done before. So, like I said, definitely check that album out. Mojo Gurus was a step in a dr- different direction for Kevin, as it was more of a uh, like a rockabilly-type, blues rock-type album, I guess you would say. Now, Kevin is from the same area that I grew up in, in uh, back in Florida, the Tampa-St. Petersburg area. So I was familiar with Kevin and Rock's Gang from the time they were a local act. Now, what I did not know that I found out on this conversation is that Kevin and I actually attended the same high school. Imagine that. If you like this podcast, you know, please make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating over there. You can do one, two, three, four, or five stars. We prefer the five. And leave a review and tell me what you think of the show. You can also follow us on Instagram. That is the social media platform that I am most active on. Find us at R&R Coffee Show and visit the website at rnrcoffeeshow.com for more information. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kevin. Thanks for listening. Hello. Mr. Kevin Steele, how are you? It's Joe. What's up, Joe? Uh, not much. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Good, good. You down there in Florida still? Yeah. Yeah. St. Pete. St. Pete. Petersburg. Nice and humid down there right about now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to live down I used to live down um right in St. Pete by the stadium. I used to live around the stadium for a while. I grew up there, actually. I've been here since I was, well, I moved to Florida. I guess I was about 15, 16. Where where'd you grow up from, in, uh, in your young, younger age? I grew up in like a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. It's quite a culture shock coming down here. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, were you already singing when you came down there or playing music, or did you first get into that when you no, got down no, there? No, in my, in my dreams. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, at that point, I was just fantasizing about it. Yeah, yeah. But I, but like in high school, I first time I ever sang in front of people, sang rock and roll, was in high school. Some it was like a high school talent show. We put a band together. Uh huh. I think I think we've all been to those talent shows. How'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> it went pretty good. I got laid. 
<laughs> oh man. Yeah, I used to live the you know where the um I don't know if it's still there in St. Pete, but do you know where the cracker barrel is right there on what, two seventy five? I used to live in those apartments right next to that place. Yeah, I know that area. Yeah. Um and I remember when I was growing up down there listening to you guys, you were um right. you used to get a lot of play on ninety five Y and F if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did, they were pretty uh fair to us. Ron and Ron guys. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good times back Those then. Good days, huh? Yeah, right? So let's start. So you were born up in in um where where did you just say? At Cleveland. Cleveland, that's right. So and then you moved down there and then when did you start getting into music? Well, when I lived in Cleveland, I was all into all the um that's what I had. I don't really want to get into it, but let's just say I had a, a kind of a less than perfect uh, home life. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, music was a big escape for me. I got into all the glam rock bands, all the English glam bands like Mott the Hoople and T Rex, Bowie, and because um, those guys looked like they were from another planet. So it, <laughs> right. It was a, you know, it was it was part of this escape, and um, then I found out about the American, you know, glam bands that are a little trashier, like the New York Dolls and the Stooges and uh, Lou Reed. And then I moved to Florida, and it was <laughs> and like then, and Leonard then you, Skinner. And, yeah, and then you ran into Skinner. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in Venice, Florida. You know no, where that is? Yeah, I used to live there too. That's I, I actually when we first moved. What are the chances? <laughs> when we, when, get this. So when we first moved to Florida, I was probably about ten. I'm almost fifty now, but I was about ten years old. We moved to Florida to Northport. Okay, so you know, in back in those days, there was nothing down there. No, nothing. There was a Kmart, I believe. When I went to high school in Venice, the interstate didn't even run down there yet. Right, right. Did you go to Venice and, high school? Um, so I came down and saw like kids walking, you know, it was an open campus where you'd walk out of a room and be outside like, you know. Yeah. Was, was it Venice High School? And, yeah. Yeah. That's where I went. And I'd see kids walking around barefoot and passing joints and stuff. And it was, I mean, there was, it wasn't, <laughs> it was nothing like where I came from. Right. 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 And, um. You know, nobody even heard of Mott the Hoople or the New York Dolls. You know? <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. I, I got into all that Southern rock, too. But um, I think it kind of manifested itself later. And like by the time I was doing the Mojo Gurus. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I was a big Leonard Skinner fan. But that's, where my, that's why I, I loved uh, Black Oak, Arkansas. Jim Dandy, Black Oak, Arkansas, because to me, they were a kind of a hybrid. There was the glam, you know, they dressed pretty wild, uh-huh. but then they were kind of Southern rock, and it kind of blended my two, uh, the two biggest influences. Right. So when you were in Venice, Florida, um, were you playing in bands yet or no? Just my high school, you know, high, high throw school. together high school. And then when did Talent. you move up? to uh, Tampa we were called 90 proof <laughs> 90 proof perfect and uh, I mean you know high school 
in those days. My biggest influences were JD, <laughs> Jack Black, and Weed. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, 90 Proof. Gotcha, gotcha. But um, I quickly, you know, realized that uh, once I graduated high school, I was like, I wanted to be in a band so bad. And I knew it wasn't going to happen in Venice, Florida. Right. And so, you know, I had this epiphany. My grandparents, I lived with my grandparents as a result of this shitty childhood I, was, I sure. mentioned. Mm -hmm. And um, they were bugging me. They were said, we will pay, you know, your, your tuition. They wanted me, to, <clears throat> excuse me, they wanted me to go to college very bad. So um, I was like... When I got out of high school, that was the last thing I wanted to do. Right. But then I had this epiphany one night. Um, if I go to a college town, there'll probably be a bunch of musicians, you know. Got to find somebody who plays guitar in a college town. So I packed up my bags and moved to Gainesville. <laughs> Became a gator? And uh, I went to like, I went to like, I don't think even a full year of I was going to Santa Fe Community College up there. Okay. And I met uh, I met a guy. We started a band. He knew a guy that that was Eric Carroll that I years later formed Rocks Gang with. Right. So um, it all started in Gainesville. Okay. And then so you and Eric moved to the Tampa area? Yeah, we moved down to St. Pete. And um, we were getting pretty good. We had some good songs. We were starting to get some national attention, press. And um, Eric, I don't know if you heard anything about it, but Eric uh, died in a... Right. He was out fishing one night off a bridge with some friend of his, and I don't. nobody knows what happened for sure, but somehow he fell. Right. And... Uh, died as a result so then i was like i was all freaked out because eric was like my brother sure and um and i was like i don't know it felt like should we go on you know should i continue should i not i don't know and then i just realized like you know the best tribute i could give my uh my brother was um to get these songs that he and i had written you know to have for people to hear them. Right, get them know? out there. So uh, we re regrouped, and uh, it took two guitar players to replace Eric. <laughs> <laughs> we were a one guitar band. Then we got uh, Jeff Taylor and Wade Hayes. Were, were you guys Rocks know. Gang at that time, or not yet? Yeah, we were Rocks Gang by now. Okay. And um, we had a guy named uh, Carl Kennedy drummer for the rods he's produced like early albums by anthrax and overkill i don't know how he we were sending demo tapes to everybody back in those days and um somehow he took an interest in us and uh he came down and actually he came down he was supposed to come down the the night the eric died and the next night carl was supposed to come down oh man so, yeah, 
So on a whole bunch of different levels, you know, I was like, you know, it fucked me up when Eric yeah. died. So um, anyways, Carl was cool. He was like, I can't imagine if I lost a band member, you guys get it together and I'll come down there as soon as you, you guys are ready. Mm-hmm. So uh, we got, you know, Jeff had been an old friend of Eric's and mine. And uh, Eric, Eric heard Wade playing one night somewhere and came back and told me about this kid. He's fantastic. He's even better than me. And, um, and Wade actually joined our band, the, the bass player that we had at the time flaked. And, um, Eric, I mean, uh, Wade actually joined rocks gang as a bass player. Oh, wow. Then the bass, then the bass player came back and Wade moved to second guitar. But we did like one gig with him when the, you know, when Eric died. Uh-huh. So um, we got, so then I get Wade back, I get Jeff. Even the bass player and drummer were fairly new, really, at the time. People think that, that, that Things You Never Done Before lineup was like the original Rocks Gang lineup, but it wasn't, it wasn't by far. It wasn't, okay. So um, Carl comes back down, we cut a full-length demo called Love Him and Leave Him. And um, we started getting some label interest. Got signed by Virgin. Unfortunately, living in bumfuck Florida, by the time we got signed, and I guess it was 88. Put it this way. We go out to California to record things you've never done before. And I remember sitting in the lobby. Somebody was doing guitar tracks or drum tracks or something. And I was sitting in the lobby watching MTV, and this video came on, Smells Like Team Spirit by Nirvana. And, like, I'm watching it, and I had no idea. Like, Rock's Gang was, suffered from really bad timing. Like, it was really mm-hmm. dead before, you know, it got started. People mm-hmm. don't realize, but, like, Soundgarden and Nirvana both had albums out before Rock's Gang put out before their first album. Yeah. So the whole scene just totally changed practically overnight. And... um had we got signed a year earlier, um, I think, as it was, we sold like a quarter of a million records. Mm-hmm. If if we had been signed a year earlier, um, I know we that album would have went platinum. That first album was a great album. It was an excellent and, album, uh, yeah. The next one is my favorite. That, but that first album was was a good was a great debut, and it should have you know, a year or two earlier would have sold a million copies, would have set the band on a whole different trajectory. Sure. But yeah. it still would have been over <laughs> in a year or two because yeah, well, you remember how things changed. Yeah, once it changed fast. Came but how, how long were you guys together as the, as the core group that was, you know, that Rocks gang that we know? How long were you guys together before you signed your deal? Probably, well, the germs... The first, like me and Eric getting together is probably around like 82. And then by the time we had a band that we were actually calling Rock Scaring, it was probably, I don't know, 85, 86. Okay, so not, it not, didn't take you too long to get that record deal with Virgin. Well, I can sit, you know, if you take it from the time Rock Scaring formed to then, yeah, but I'd been writing songs. 
if you if you look at it like how long you've been writing songs and whatever mm-hmm. you know so a lot of those songs on things you've never done before were you and eric did you guys write those together yeah no easy way out and um scratch my back five of the ten songs were already written me and eric wrote mm-hmm. already before then i wrote red rose as a tribute to eric mm-hmm how and um, how come Red Rose? You never released that as a single. Yeah, well, that's uh, part of the time. Talk to the people at the great minds at Virgin <laughs> Records. <laughs> I mean, did you did you think that would have been a good choice to release? I mean, is that something you wanted to do? Or? It was supposed to be our next video and single, but yeah. it never happened. Yeah. I, I, I would think that would have been like a no-brainer for that one. Well, we had people at Virgin Records. We were Virgin Records' first hard rock signing, okay? And they had lots of money, but they, as far as marketing us, they didn't have a clue. Uh, yeah, new territory for them. And um, here's some examples. We sh- we'd screen Scratch My Back for the first time. My... The president of Virgin Records goes, yeah, I want to cut out some of your close-ups because nobody's ever going to believe that that voice is coming out of that face. I was like, this voice does come out of that face. What do you want? I had an A&R guy, Larique Weymouth, his sister, Tina Weymouth from the Talking Heads, right? Uh And... um, I remember we we had demoed a bunch of the songs that were going to be on the Voodoo You Love for the second album, and he was and I was all I was very proud of him. Um, with my glam rock background, and I love like the blues and R and B, and I I like flamboyant singers, but also with kind of a like I got I like guys like Jagger and and Tyler, right and. Um, and there was a couple of songs on things you've never done before that I wasn't super comfortable with, like "Live Fast, Die Young." It was, it was too heavy for me. It was too heavy. <laughs> you didn't. Like... Yeah, you know when I first started, some of those that was a song that Eric and I wrote. Uh-huh. That song went way back. And um, you know when I first started, I was uh, um, I didn't play any instruments, and I was basically. I was basically just writing song lyrics, whatever you want to call what are song lyrics without music, poetry. Right. right. So uh, I was basically writing lyrics and then, you know, fitting it to Eric's music. Okay. But as I got a little more, uh, you know, the more time I spent at it and the more musical, uh, the more savvy I got, you know, I realized like, well, I'm hearing the melodies that I want to set, how I want to sing this song. And I can even hear a rhythm guitar playing like, and I would just sing my ideas to Eric or Wade. They're both such, uh, and Jeff, they were all such good guitar players that, you know, I had no problem. They had no problem translating my ideas into music. Right. So, um, so yeah, so the second album, I was starting to feel my, uh, you know, I was getting more comfortable in my boots, you know. Yeah. And um, 
I think uh, the music went into kind of more blues based. When I say blues based, I mean like Aerosmith plays blues based rock and roll. You know, right, I'm not right. saying full on, yeah, yeah, full on blues, blues rock. But, yeah. Um, and I was just way happier with the second album, and it was you know a lot of the songs have more to me or have more of a groove and funkier, and then we put horn sections in a bunch of the songs. And, yeah. And um, I played it for the my A and R guy at Virgin, Larique Weymouth, and he. You're just not pushing the envelope. He, he said he wanted me to listen to this song by the Divinals. When I think of you, I touch myself. That's what he wanted you to say. And like, and like, well, that's when I knew right then. That like, <laughs> I, I would. I was already a lot of decisions that were being made at Virgin. I was not cool with, but you know, you're a baby band, you just got signed, you're unproven and stuff. You can't really get into fights with the president of the label. You well, know? well, you could, but it might not go well, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you got to pick your right. fights, put right. it that way. Right. So, um, you know, but when I heard that, I was like, this guy is clueless, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, things... And I don't think, and like when they were telling me about the video, Open up a rock magazine, dude. It's like all pinups, practically, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, those They made some rocked-out decisions. So, so then we were like, um, they were going to put us on a subsidiary label called Charisma. And we said, if they only sold a quarter million of our records on the main label, what's going to happen when they put us on the subsidiary? And we negotiated a release from Virgin Records at that point. So you wanted that right away. CB, right away, CBS wanted to pick us up, and they paid for the rest of the us demoing out the rest of the songs that would become the Voodoo You Love. But in the music business, personnel changes overnight like crazy. And the mm-hmm. guy who we were the A and R guy we were working with, and who was you know paid for our demos and or got us the money anyways and who wanted to sign us, all of a sudden, he wasn't at CBS anymore. Yeah. That's why there was such a huge... There was like four years in between the first and second album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when the when the guys that... You know, there's no investment in the label after the guys that wanted you there are gone. Right. Plus, things were changing really quick on the <clears throat> music scene. Like, we... Yeah. previously discussed grunge was coming in and R- rock's gang was like had all this baggage as being like a glam rock makeup band you know yeah which i know we got thrown in with all those guys but there is a huge difference between live fast die young and red rose and and ball and chain and like unskinny bop <laughs> right, right. Well, you know what? I, I was thinking about that. You know, I mean, because looking at your band pictures, you could uh-huh. you could see how somebody could compare you to that. But when you listen right. to that record, it is much. Um, it, it it's darker, I would say, than than like the poison. It was. The we were like a dark. Uh, our music was like arena rock, like seventies arena rock, but. Our visual, you know, our image. That was because I. That was because how much I loved the sure, the glam bands, 
and you know, people think because of how late we got signed, like we were jumping on the bandwagon. But like I said, Rock's gang was together. Rock's gang was together before like MTV was around here. Yeah. In Florida where we live and no one had, you know, the country hadn't been introduced to Motley Crue or Poison or any of those bands. So people used to freak on our look here in Florida. They didn't know (laughs) what to think with the clothes and the makeup that we wore. Really? They thought we were like, they thought we were like transvestites, I guess. Yeah. See, see, what I remember of you guys, I mean, I that was probably before I found you guys as a local band, but what I remember of Rock's Gang was you guys were the shit in the Tampa area. So that was probably right as you were getting your record deal, I would say, right? Yeah. Yeah, we, things started to take off for us, that, that Love Them and Leave Them demo. We released it later on on CD, but when it first came out, we were using it to, you know, to try and get a record deal. And we put it out on a like cassette only release back then mm-hmm. and sold it in the record stores. And in some of the local record stores, it was out selling like white snake and guns and roses. Nice. And that's when people started looking at us and then Kerrang magazine got behind us over in England. And then, we had Virgin Records and Virgin Music, the publishing company, come down to a showcase we did down here. Mm-hmm. And the guy in Virgin Music said, I don't care if Virgin Records is, he said, I don't care if you guys are signing them or not, I'm giving them a publishing deal. So then went Virgin Records quickly, fell yeah. in line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I. Off you... to Hollywood, off to Hollywood to record a record. We <laughs> recorded at the Empire. Um, studios, which was owned co two guys. One of the guys was Billy Mummy. Does that name ring a bell? Wasn't he, uh, uh, Will Robinson? Yeah. 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 Okay. And he was also, I can't think of the name of the duo, but they put out that novelty record fish heads. Really? I remember did not fish know heads, that. Roly yeah, yeah. poly fish heads. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that? that was Billy Monmi and one funny. of the, some guy he partnered up with. Huh. So you went out there, and now um, after you recorded that album, was there any tours? Did you guys get on any major tours? We toured with Warrant for a little while. We did some, uh, just like a couple of one-off shows with Rat, open uh-huh. for Faster Pussycat. There was taught we were supposed to get a leg of an Alice Cooper tour. That never happened. Mm, that would have been good. Uh, I love Alice. I love early Alice Cooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, how did the fans react to you guys going out with those those bands? It was the last hurrah of that type of music. I mean, we always went live. We're a live band for sure. Like, I think we're way better live than we are on an album. Mm-hmm. And um, we, I think people always loved our live show. Yeah, I've seen you guys a few times around the Bay Area. I think I saw you at uh, ML Chasers. Remember that place? Uh-huh. I saw you there once. And then I was at actually at the video shoot for Scratch My Back at uh, Mahaffey Theater. Is that where you did that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where we did uh, Scratch My Back, yeah. Yeah, I remember Metal Edge magazine was there covering that. 
then after that, Rock's Gang just, um, so we finally put out that second album. By that time, there were, all the glam bands were dead, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for the most part, you know what I mean? Yeah. They weren't, they weren't going platinum anymore, and whole new music had came, and all of a sudden that was like passe, uncool. And um, I personally am of the school of thought that um, if you're going to be in a glam rock band, you got a very small window of opportunity. Like, you, you don't want to look, end up looking like Gary Glitter, like <laughs> 40 years old in skin tight pants and mascara, which I take lots of shit for this when I say it in interviews, but a lot of my peers, a lot of guys that are my age that started at the same time as me. Yeah. Or even some guys that came before me who I really have looked up to and respected growing up at the altar of guys, like I said, like Tyler and Alice Cooper, but like dudes, (laughs) stop. I'm not saying stop making rock and roll, but like, just because you can still wear those clothes doesn't mean you should. Yeah, you don't think so? It just to me. It doesn't. Like, Alice Cooper's still rocking it. And he should be. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> maybe you should change it down the look. There. I don't yeah. know. Do something about the look. But... I don't know. I think it works for some of them. I mean, I would agree with you on on most of and them. And you're totally <laughs> entitled to your opinion. Yeah. And I know he's got millions of fans that love him. <laughs> You know, there's millions of people who still love Kiss and yeah, and Alice Cooper and Steven Tyler and who am I to who am I to to say? But I'm just saying for me personally. So basically, you're work. you're telling me you're never going to rock those leather pants again. No, <laughs> and I'm never going to go on stage at my age and sing, you know, too cool for school or um, scratch my back. <laughs> I think it's just pathetic. Yeah. Uh, I wrote, I was a young man, you know, in my young, in my early twenties, writing songs that were aimed at girls that were my age and a little younger. And, um, I would feel like an idiot doing that now. Yeah. You wouldn't it works. I guess it works for some guys. Yeah. <laughs> I just personally couldn't do it. So, so I guess you so won't be going to rock gang. Guys that's why to, uh, you know the Mojo Gurus were born right, in an right. attempt. It's very hard for a rock and roller to age gracefully, but um, to at least try, you know. Sure. Like, you know, I love David Bowie, but he didn't stay Ziggy Stardust forever. Right. You know? Right. Ian Hunter from Mott the Hoople, like he's still rocking it, but he's not wearing satin suits and platform boots you know right and uh even Mick Jagger you know like he he's not wearing spangled jumpsuits and stuff you know like you could you, you could still look sharp man and, and still look rock and roll without like you know has the opportunity presented itself for you guys to get back together for a show or two oh yeah yeah and that's totally off. The... I've been approached by promoters. I've been approached by ex band members. I've even were was from. I was even approached by a band. I won't tell you their name because I don't know how they. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. 
I could tell you off the record, but All right. tell me there's after another band from the 80s that you would have heard of that said, um, look, we'll learn all the rock skank songs. You don't even have to come to rehearsals with us. You just show up. You know, we've got a guy who's going to book a whole tour. Huh. But so they must I would have been never, big fans. Do, do that. As flattered as I was, that's some, you know. Yeah. I, I would not um, ever do that. That's fake as shit. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be kind of weird, I guess. <laughs> um, well, it wouldn't be rock skating, that's for sure. No, it wouldn't. It would be whatever band that is and Kevin Steele. <laughs> and that's what, you know, a lot of these bands, I had it so, so now we're at the period in history where it's in where Stacy Blades comes in. Yeah. You know, Stacy after he left Rock's Gang, played with L.A. Guns, and sure, he played with Bobby Blotzer's version of Rat, and he did a couple of things. But like, see, that's what I mean. Like, what you, Bobby Blotzer's version <laughs> of Rat? What, what was that called? Like Bobby Blotzer's Rat or something like that, right? I don't know. <laughs> I got a lot of respect for Phil Lewis, the singer of L.A. Guns. I admire sure. him and his style but like stacy playing in la guns i guess that's the best thing he ever did but i don't say this to be mean and i don't say this to be braggadocious but uh-huh. stacy is not even the by far not the best guitar player that played in rocks gang uh-huh. and so next time you know people still want people to realize just because like he yeah he played in a version of la guns that played in bars for yeah. the most part you know what I mean? And like, I can honestly say that uh, if he was good enough to play in Rock's Gang, then he should be plenty good enough to play in L.A. Guns. Sure. Now, now Wade was an awesome guitar player. Whatever happened? Wade to him? wasn't. He's still around. I see him every once in a while. Is he still playing? I hope. Um, I think he plays, but. For his own personal satisfaction. Yeah, he doesn't do any recording or anything, huh? That you were aware of. Wade, um, Wade is a strange cat. <laughs> <laughs> He's and a damn good guitar player. He was lucky. The set of circumstances that he found himself in in Rock's Gang, uh-huh. and the way it was set up for him, so that what was what was called on from him was so little mm-hmm. that he was able to function within Rock's Gang. But outside of Rock's Gang, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, all he had to do in Rock's Gang was plug in and blaze. Right. But that's not usually your average situation, you know? Right. So, And he could be a fucking handful, man. Him and fucking Strict Nine Strine, bass player. Yeah. Those two Robbie. Were, those two would destroy hotel rooms, throw cots off the. If we one time we were staying on the second floor of this hotel, where like if if you were to walk out the door, you'd be in the outdoor hallway. You uh-huh. know, yeah. Second floor. So I think the situation was, they would guys would take turns sometimes as like there being a roadie in their room on a cot, right? And um, 
they didn't want the Saudi staying with them, and they took his cot and they threw it off the balcony. Like they're gonna kill somebody. Yeah, yeah. But but every night, it, the any glass, beer bottles, mirrors, JD bottles. We used to, you know, we'd get off the road and I'd have a nice nut because I'd saved all my per diem and stuff, you know. Those guys would be flat broke. Where's our money? <laughs> right. Well, you have to pay for all those things you broke. <laughs> you pay for a cut. But, I mean, you know, I grew up reading these rock stories like The Who and, you know, people that would destroy hotel rooms and you think it's cool when you're a kid and uh but after you pay for it a couple times it ain't <laughs> yeah, cool, right. you yeah you're over that <laughs> pretty quickly well, we weren't exactly making the same kind of money as to who, you know? <laughs> well you had fun though i mean that, that's part of being in a rock band back then you know is uh those yeah that kind of thing and the eight, late 80s there's so much cocaine man yeah cocaine oh. and models strippers <laughs> Oh, you had a good Those time. Are good times. Yeah. So, so you went through after all this. What year are we at now? About ninety, early nineties, mid nineties. So now, by now, let's say mid nineties, and the and Rock's gang starting to, um, like I'm like I'm not into this. You're done. Any all the big rock clubs were closing down, and we were pulling up with our big Rock's gang production. You know, lights and stage and. And um, all the big rock clubs were closing down. And I was growing up, and I'd always felt that way about I knew that I did not want to be like an older guy dressed, wearing makeup and skin-tight clothes, you know? Right. And so, um, and I've kept myself in pretty good shape. I think I weigh, I think I weigh like maybe five pounds more than like when the first album came out. Well, that's pretty damn that's good. That's like 30 years ago, you know? And um, I still cut a, a fair, pretty fair figure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just don't believe, you know, and I think you can look stylish and shit, but you just, you, you don't have to wear like girls' clothes anymore. Sure. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, so all this was changing and Rock's Gangs actually put out, this was kind of confusing then the transition because Rock's Gang actually put out a CD called Mojo Gurus. Right. I uh, remember. It was a tribute to all my Mojo Gurus, all my influences. That's what I called them. And, um, and then we played, we played this private party. And we didn't want, we thought it'd be cool to play under a, like a, do an alter ego type thing, play under a different name. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, I remember I, um, I went to see the Rolling Stones on the Some Girls Tour, and I went to this record store, Asylum Records, to get the tickets. And when I bought the ticket, it said, The Great Southeast Stoned Out Wrestling Champions. And I knew that Aerosmith had played under names like, Dr. J Bones and the interns or something I read somewhat in Rolling Stone, I think. And um, so we called ourselves the Mojo Gurus that night. And we've learned a bunch of, um, 
rockabilly covers and blues covers and we had a blast and we started taking the band in that direction and then eventually changed the name and became the mojo gurus okay and that this was now where are we at now year wise roughly uh i guess we're in like 2000 in the early 2000s 2000s okay and then you had at that point you were your writing was different correct because mojo gurus is i think it is different than rocks gang yeah if yeah. it if it wasn't it would still be rocks it'd still gang. be rocks gang right <laughs> right right so so there's no uh, sense in changing your name and look and playing the same music now when you mojo gurus had uh you had uh jeff Vitello in there right yeah from entice back in the day right uh, okay okay and then now who is in the band now who's in mojo gurus now so Stacy was in just the very early part of the Mojo Gurus when we split ways. Uh-huh. And then it was Jeff and my brother Vinny Gernice. He's he was in the last days of Rocks Gang, Vinny Gernice, and he stayed with me all the way till now. And um he's my paisan, another Italian. And um Tommy Weeder was the first drummer. And we went through a couple of, over the years, Mojo Gurus, we put out one, two, three, four. I think we put out five CDs as the Mojo Gurus. Mm-hmm. And um, we had drummer and uh, guitar changes. But uh, me and Vinny always stuck together. And um, we had some, I've been lucky enough to work with I mentioned Carl Kennedy, Bo Hill produced things you never done before. He produced um, Kicks and Rat. Yeah, Warren. I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about Bo a little bit. Um, Alice I brought Cooper. that up. Um, how was Bo it? was a? So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, how was it working with Bo? Bo was cool, man. He was funny. He was a gentleman. He was uh, um, he was smart as hell. He made some really good um, arrangement contributions like we're a very well rehearsed band mm-hmm. like by the time we go into the studio we've put like we play our songs out live and before we ever record right we're not a band who writes in the studio or, right you're not trying to figure things out there we like to work out a song we like to play it live because live things happen sometimes that you know oh, oh things happen by mistake sometimes sure cool things and um, Bo actually made some great um, contributions arrangement-wise and to the sound of the record. But um, I do feel we were a little... I do feel that the sound he gave us was a little less ballsier than our live sound. Mm. But that happens. It's your first film, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was thrilled to be making an album in Los Angeles with Bo Hill. Yeah. It's like my dream come true, you know. So then I worked. So now I've worked with Carl. I've worked with Bo. I worked with uh, in the Mojo Gurus. I got the chance to work with Jack Douglas, who produced all the early Aerosmith albums, all the early Cheap Trick albums. 
He's produced the New York Dolls. He freaking produced John Lennon for Christ's sake. He's the wow. he's the producer that was working with John Lennon when he was assassinated. Right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. This guy is like a who's who rock and roll encyclopedia, and and then he worked with the Mojigger. His manager saw us playing up in New York, and uh, went to Jack and said, "I think he should work with these guys." So he came down here, and um, we totally, I've never been so excited going into a project and so disappointed coming out. Oh, like no. We totally, we totally bumped heads. We totally uh. did. I did not like him, and I dare say he did not like me. Oh, <laughs> you must have been miserable and, uh, then. Must have been what? Miserable. In I the was studio miserable, with him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we worked at a studio. I told my brother I'd record anywhere but this one studio in town. And of course, Jack had a connection with the engineer there. And we ended up recording at this fucking <laughs> pigsty. The, the engineer is sick with the flu. He got the whole band. He got Jack sick. He got us sick. Uh. Um, anyways, had that experience. And I've worked with um, Tommy Hendrickson. Who's Alice Cooper's guitar player? He's produced a couple of Mojo Gurus tracks. Okay. So I've worked with some, you know, he produced Lou Reed. Um, I've worked with some pretty good producers and um, some excellent producers. Yeah. And so, um, so then after the Jack Douglas, we did, I think, the best Mojo Gurus album was right after that. And it was uh, called Let's Get Lit with the Mojo Gurus. And um, then we put out one more who called Who's Asked, Who Asked You. And after the Jack Douglas experience, I was like, I'm a pretty quick study. And I was like soaking in everything, all the good stuff that he did. I was paying attention. Mm-hmm. And so the next time I said, okay, well, by this time I've made all these Rocks Gang albums, few Mojo Gurus albums. I said, let's try and produce it ourselves, you know? So um, I think it's the best album that we ever did. Let's Get Lit with the Mojo Gears. And then there was another one called Who Asked You? And then our final album is called Gone. Uh-huh. And it very, may very well be, I like ambiguity. Like I like, I love it when five different people listen to one of my songs and they fi- get five different interpretations. And even though it might not be my interpretation or what I thought I was writing about, you know, what I thought when I was writing about mm-hmm. the song, that's cool to me. I like that people can take different things away from it. You know, art is, that's how it's, how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be objective, you know? Sure. Now, so, um, now gone. I so mean, then, go ahead. So gone, the title gone Um, It could mean a bunch of different things. It could mean in rockabilly vernacular, it's like, like you could say, like, that chick is real, real gone, right? Right, right. Like, it's the greatest. You could say, um, man, that guy was, you know, we drank so much whiskey, that guy was gone. Could mean fuck, you're fucked up, right? (laughs) And it could also literally mean, like, having departed. You're gone. You're gone. <laughs> and I think that may be the most fitting uh, interpretation for 
the Mojo Guru. I think Gone is probably the last Mojo Guru's record. Oh, you th- you think so? Yeah, I think it's time to do something else. Okay, so you got to stick to the same style, or or what are you what are you thinking? Know. You're not sure yet. I don't know. I'm, I'm a I have very eclectic taste. I'm a music I'm a music collector, right? A huge record collection, huge CD collection. I um I get into a lot of different you know, I like blues, I like rhythm and blues, I like reggae, I like glam rock, I like southern rock, I like arena rock, sure, I like punk like rock. Uh-huh. And um I think it's really boring when you get a band of guys who all like the same exact kind of music. Mm-hmm. It's boring. And they put out an album that sounds exactly like the kind of music <laughs> that they like. You right, know? Right. And all the songs sound exactly the same. Yeah, in Mojo Grooves, I've been criticized for um, like uh, pick a style, dude. Right? And um, who would have ever said that to the Beatles? Yeah, I mean, why do you have to pick a style? You know, well, I, I just, I've actually been criticized for like, they call it what they call like a lack of direction. But I don't see it that way at all. Like, to me, music is, that's what's fun for me is exploring different avenues. Like, if you play the same shit over and over, what well, could be more boring than that? I'll shoot myself. <laughs> Yeah. That's why I can't imagine. I don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm like pushing sixty, man. Like, these guys that are my age that came out in the '80s that are still singing the same exact songs and wearing the same exact clothes. It's like, I'm not kidding. I would hang myself, man. Like, what, the, what the fuck? Like, what a boring, stuck in time. Yeah. Well, I mean, and a lot of '80s fans are like that too. That. 80s fans are unforgiven. We're like, I lost a lot of fans going from Rock Skank to the Mojo Grooves. Really? But I got to do what I got to do, man. Yeah, but I mean, Mojo... Like, those 80s, they, they want to hear, they want to hear the same st- songs and the same style, and it's like, I understand music is attached to nostalgia, like, it, it, it brings up memories times in your life you know yeah and hopefully good times to most people and so i understand it but like i I hate to i hate calling myself an artist i don't want to sound pretentious but like i'm a rock and roller Uh but but i'm a rock and roller who gets bored very easily (laughs) now you did do a rock gang song with mojo gurus race with the devil but you redid it yeah, we reworked it. Well, why did you make that decision to do that, or or is that how you always wanted to hear that song? Because one day I was driving in my car, where a lot of my good ideas come when I'm driving. Was it and, late? One, um, was it late one night? <laughs> no. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> driving down the fast lane, <laughs> late one night, um, and I was—I don't know if I was singing "Race with the Devil" in my head or if the tune—I can't remember. I think the tune came to me. And then I said, I just had this crazy idea that I could fit the lyrics to Race with the Devil to this kind of rockabilly kind of song that I had tune playing in my head. Uh-huh. And uh, I made it work and I liked it. And I thought it was kind of a cool transition for 
you know, people like, look, this is what we're doing now, but this is kind of, this is where we came from, you know, and this is what we're doing now, you know? Okay. Okay. Well, I, I liked, I liked everything you've done. I liked Rock's Gang. I liked Mojo Gurus. <laughs> you know, my band that I was in back in Florida actually played with Mojo Gurus. And I want to say it was probably your early days of that band. It was around, I want to say it was around 2005. We played with you guys at, uh, oh, fuck, what was the name of it? It was in Seminole. There was a club in Seminole, right off Seminole Boulevard, maybe. I don't remember it. But anyway, yeah. we played with you guys that night, and that was the first time I saw you with Mojo Gurus, and I thought it was fantastic. Thanks, man. But, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to whatever you're going to come up with. I mean, I always thought you had a very unique <laughs> voice. You know, you had one of those voices that when when you heard the song, you knew who it was. And I, I don't think there's a lot of was, singers that have that. Well, one thing, like when I first came, when I first started playing in bars, when we were just, you know, a cover band, you know, a lot of the shit that was going on that was popular at the time were people that were had sang in like a really high register, right? Like Getty Lee and triumph and uh there's a lot of rock and roll singers like ozzy that sang in a higher pitch like you know and um to be perfectly frank i don't have that bigger range vocal range and um i can't hit a lot of those notes and so when we first started doing cover songs i made a conscious effort to sing well, a lot of time you go see a band and the guy's doing an imitation, mm -hmm. you know, he's trying to sing it just like the singer, which, you know, that's, that's cool. A lot of people like that, but I always had my eyes set on a higher prize. I wanted, I wasn't doing it to be a bar band. I wanted to have a record deal. I wanted to play in arenas, you know, and I knew that, it just didn't make sense to me that to imitate other people did not seem like the way to get there. Mm -hmm. So even if we were doing a, um, you know, whatever, I remember at the time, Ronnie James Dio was singing with black Sabbath, heaven and hell and that kind of stuff was out. Judas priest. Like I would just try and just sing these songs with my voice, you know? Mm hmm. And I think it helped me when, uh, like if you said I have a distinctive voice, you know, then I think it's because I tried to develop my own voice right from the start, you know? Yeah. Well, I think you did it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you've written your best song yet? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. That's a tr <laughs> I hope not. Right. Have you been writing a lot during this lockdown we've been going through? I got about two albums worth of stuff written. <laughs> so you're ready to go. Put that band together, get recording. I love, that's one of my favorite um, aspects of the writing part. I really, I love writing and I love performing. Uh -huh. I, I hate being in the studio. To be honest, at my age now, I hate traveling. Yeah, I hate staying in shitty motels. I hate staying. I hate road food. It's understandable. 
you make when you're a kid it's a lot easier to um you know it's the romance of the road and it's like uh rape and pillage (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot harder to throw a couch over a balcony it probably wasn't very it probably wasn't very pc but Uh, you know so you know, and you do drugs and you drink and it's all, you know, and if you don't care if you're sleeping on a fucking floor, you know, right, right. and uh, as long as there's chicks, you know, you're, you're <laughs> all set. You know? <laughs> but, um, that's why you get in, you know, let's be honest. That's why most of us get into it in the first place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, impress girls. <laughs> <laughs> right. so uh, with me like I knew from the time I was a little kid that I wanted to be a rock and roller like I remember watching the monkeys on TV and um, I remember this one particular episode where they're being chased around the Eiffel Tower there was monkeys were in France (laughs) and when they caught little Davy Jones they ripped his shirt right off of him these screaming girls I think that happened a couple times I was like, that is what the life I want to lead. <laughs> you know, hang out with my friends 24-7, ride around in a monkey mobile. Yeah. Hang out at monkey headquarters, get my shirts ripped off by a bunch of pretty girls. Yeah. I thought, like, that's the life. So I was way into the lifestyle and the image and everything before I knew I had any kind of musical ear or talent, you yeah. know? Yeah. Hey, were you and um were you guys big overseas? How how did you do over there? I guess we were I guess um we did all right in Japan, I know. Uh-huh. Okay. And we get um I get tons of it's it's weird, man. There's still metal. Like I get all this fan mail from like the Netherlands. Like where Hanoi Rocks is from. Yeah that part of the world, Japan, Italy. They still want me to do interviews for Italian rock magazines. They released some Italian label, um, re-released the Voodoo You Love on vinyl. Okay. Do you have rights to to your songs? Yeah. Everything but the, um, well, pretty much everything. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Are you planning on re-releasing some stuff? Yeah, as a matter of fact, my brother has a small um, entertainment management company. Yeah. He managed my band. He managed Rock Gang and the Mojo Gurus all these years. And he's got a small stable artist. And now he has all of a sudden got the opportunity to start his own label. Mm-hmm. And I think the first release is going to be like an anniversary issue of uh, things you've never done before with some radio edits and some unreleased demo tracks and the two videos from that album are going to be on the disc nice we'll have to pick that up i just actually you know since i was going to have you on the show here i realized that i only had things you've never done before on uh i think i have it on compact disc so i just found Uh it on vinyl i ordered it on vinyl from somewhere it's not here yet though so hopefully i don't get ripped off 
did you ever have anybody on your show like me that just ran his mouth and didn't let you get a word in edgewise? <laughs> <laughs> I had, uh, you, you, you're fine. I mean, I, I had an interview go about three hours once, three and a half hours. But that's okay. Wow. You know, I, I like to treat these not necessarily as an interview, but as a conversation. So it, it can go long, mm-hmm. you know. Tell me, tell me uh, <laughs> you, you had mentioned your record collection. You've got a big music collection. How many, you collect vinyl? Yeah. How many do you have, roughly? Like thousands? I have no idea. Um, more than thousands. I have no idea how many albums I have. Wow. How do you organize them? Alphabetically? I lost or count years style? ago. I lost count years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be too much of a task for me to try and count them now. You keep them all in order? Like if you want to take one out, you know where it is? They're not. They are in. Of course, they're in alph- alphabetical <laughs> order by the group. And then within each group, they're all in chronological order. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is there a big, uh, nice record store down there in St. Pete? Daddy Cool still open? There's a couple. There's a Bananas and an Asylum. Okay. Is Daddy Cool still open or no? There used to be a good smaller one called Manny Cools. Yeah, I don't, I'm up here in the South Carolina, in the Myrtle Beach area. Uh And there's like one record store. and, And usually, you know, a lot of the good stuff goes quick. It's hard. but So I have to get a lot of stuff online. All right, Kevin. Well, listen, man. It was great talking to you. I hope we can do it again sometime. Um, you know, keep rocking. Stay out, out of the leather pants. I'll let, you get a, I'll let you get a few questions in next time. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Uh, this is the way I like it. You know? That's how I like it. Just, you don't have to ask questions. No, nah, we're just, just talking. Little, just give steel a... Just steal a drink and I, you wind know, him up and let him go. You know, I don't have set questions, so it's just, like I said, it's just a conversation. Like, I don't have questions. Like, I'm going to ask the guy this questions. You know what I mean? It's just kind of whatever we talk about, <laughs> which I like. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. Well, listen, you take care, all right? And we'll, we'll uh, be in touch. All right. All right, man. Hey, hang on one second, okay, before you go. Yep. All right. That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.